We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike, and the Lakers are back at it tonight, playing the Toronto Raptors. Uh, D'Angelo Russell is listed as probable. We'll see if he plays tonight, uh, hopefully so. And Lakers have won 7 out of 10 and woke up today a game and a half out of the sixth seed. Now, Mike, I know you guys talked the other day about the, the ninth spot being something that is realistic and somewhere that we currently are. I would argue, though, that it's right there, that the league is wide open, especially the Western Conference. And part of the reason for that is there are a lot of teams in a very strange place right now. Uh, just in our proximity, you've got the Mavericks or the team ahead of us uh, in the eighth seed tied with the Timberwolves. The Mavs, uh, Luca had an MRI yesterday that came back clean. But if you've been listening to Luca talk about his injury or, or watching him play, he's obviously not doing that well. And it's a team, and this describes a lot of the teams in the West, Mike, that are adjusting to a new roster. The Clippers not only have Russ, but they also have Eric Gordon and Plumlee in the rotation now. And three new players incorporating that into your rotation is unusual, right? Kevin Durant has an injury as well. I don't think we'll get as high up as four where the Suns are now, but a lot of teams are struggling right now and have injury issues. Zion as well, Mike. And so I, my, uh, my eyes are a little bit higher, man. I don't, I think six is right there. And that, that I want to get to a point, man, where a team has to beat us four times and hopefully a, a healthy version of us. I can accept that. Uh, and it's right there for the taking. So basically Pete's listening to the pod the other day and he's like, yeah, nine, but come on guys. Yeah. Aim higher. Shoot that's higher. Right. I mean, so that's of course what the, the Lakers players uh, and coaches should be doing. And, you know, I don't disagree with any of that in terms of the teams that are vulnerable right ahead of the Lakers. There's no, there's no doubt about that. But it's the same thing like this is this is the way that if you look at the NBA regular season and you look at a certain game, you're like, well, they could have won this game if they did that. But not acknowledging that if they didn't, if the shot didn't go in in the other game, that they would have lost that game. So you just have to account for both sides of it. And nine to me, like the point to make there is that that's conservative. That's not necessarily that's not like where is a week ago. It was can they get up into the play in territory? LeBron's out. 
you know, we'll see how all these guys play together. Now I think they've definitely shown enough that there, I don't see anybody that's behind them passing them, like barring something unforeseen uh, happening. But like, it's, it's that it's, I'm somewhere in between there with you where like, I think they're playing better basketball than these three to four teams ahead of them. Although the Clippers looked better the last two uh, mm-hmm. after they lost five in a row. But, you know, I, it's like Golden State, they still just got Steph back. I know they've lost three in a row. It's been on the road. I don't expect them to keep slipping, right? If anything, I think they'll level off. And then we'll see what happens with Luka. Like, if he is, if he does indeed miss even a couple games, boom, flip-flop those spots. Like, so it, so you're right. Like, that's right there. The Timberwolves had started to play really well. And then they kind of got back to being the Wolves and lost a game at home, um, albeit against a good 76ers team, but nonetheless. So I'm not I'm not disputing that that's what the team should be striving for. Absolutely. And they're a game and a half back of three teams that all have the same record. The Warriors, the Timberwolves and the Mavs and the Clippers are just ahead. So I'm just like the Lakers have to show to me a little bit more than this 10 game stretch when they've absolutely upped their defensive level of energy and play and. And the way that they can sustain that, Pete, is really this weekend. Like, it's by doing it this, playing the same way with AD dominating again against the Raptors and the Knicks. So I'm I'm not trying to throw any cold water on what you're saying. I'm just, I've been in a bit more of a step-by-step uh, process. And you're not wrong to say that that's the next step. That's the thing is a week ago, like you said, just a week ago, we were like, oh, got to get up into playing territory. And if this weekend doesn't go the right way, we'll be back in that position, right? Behind a couple of those teams that are behind us. And so that said, I think we have more reason to believe that this is a better team than the team that accumulated the record up to this point than those than the other teams that are around us. Like they have that record because that's about the level of talent that they have on their teams. Everybody's got varying stories, right? Golden State is dealing with, you know, the year after a championship and that's actually, I think, some reason to be a little pessimistic about them. Like they're having a hard time kind of getting it together. They gave up what seventy-seven in the first half yesterday. So um, I don't know. I just think there's we are are more of a fundamentally different team than any of the teams that are around us. But yes, it does start this weekend, and if we want to climb up into that, we got to beat Toronto and the Knicks. A couple of phys- physical teams coming up, Mike. You got a big Toronto team tonight. Let's start with them. What are your thoughts on Toronto? Well, here, Pete, I'm going to, I definitely want to get to Toronto, but I'll, let's, let's stick in the West for a second here okay. and just talk about a couple of these teams. So, so New Orleans, Utah, OKC, Portland, right? These are the teams below the Lakers. And yes, if the Lakers lose one to two games, they're right back in that mix. But focusing on Dallas, Minnesota, Golden State uh, and the Clippers for a minute. And I think Phoenix, even with Durant out, they've got three games, even on the Clippers, which I think is enough. Like, I still think mm-hmm. they have enough talent and, um, to win some games there. So focusing on those four on those four teams which team do you think is the is the most likely um that the lakers would would pass in the next week or so so we're talking dallas clippers golden state and who is the fourth one minnesota minnesota thank you i'm gonna say dallas uh because they were struggling with a fully healthy luca the thing about a couple of these teams is it's like they fundamentally changed who they are and so this is part of i think the story the clippers are going through right now and the whole like oh they're starting to look a little bit better it's like yeah three new guys one of whom was russell westbrook think about the uh, all of the conversations that we've had think about in incorporating russ into what you do on the fly 
that's going to be very difficult. It's going to take a little bit of time. I think his skill set has a natural fit with them in ways that makes that easier than it was here. But yeah, they're going to have to play together before they they get better. I think Minnesota is solid. I think kind of like their principles, their physical, a big team that has a clear pecking order of who their go-to scorer is, a pro in Conley next to Edwards. I, I like them. I think they're going to be right there with us uh, as we go forward. But Dallas is the team, Mike, that if Luca is hobbled or out for a little bit, like, I don't know, like if you've been watching him, he's really struggling and wincing and giving it a go, but yeah, laboring. Yeah. But like our conceptualization of what Dallas is, is so much based on him being awesome in ways that I think are going to be hard for him until his thigh heals. And they, they really have struggled uh, other than looking pretty good in a game against Philadelphia at home. So since Kyrie got there, they are five and seven, uh, and they've only won three of their last 10 as well. And including mm-hmm. that, so they just lost at New Orleans. They beat Utah at home with Utah not playing many, uh, many players. They lost to Phoenix. They lost to Indiana. And then, of course, there was the big Laker comeback uh, on the 26th in, in a game that they, you know, in their, in their eyes, they certainly should have won being up by 20 plus. And until the Lakers just completely stormed the doors down with that defensive and transition brilliance, essentially. So... Is it a leap to say that the way the Lakers are playing and kind of rolling right now and getting D'Angelo Russell back versus the way that the Mavericks are playing and struggling right now and potentially losing Luka Doncic, even if it's for two games? No. So, like, basically, that's the right answer. And that, to me, like, if, if there's the absolute ideal, of course, right, is for the Lakers to continue to play this well and these teams to continue to struggle and the Lakers to get into that a guaranteed playoff spot, which is number six. Um, number uh, the other thing though is that if Sacramento who is currently tied with Memphis if Sacramento stays in the second seed and this is where you don't want to get too cute right but and you're in that 7-8 game because mm-hmm. Sacramento was the best first round matchup but I'm just saying I'm saying You've as been we look on, on the Sacramento outside all in, year Mike <laughs> I have they just been, reached I the 600 been. mark yeah and I will continue to do so um, they, <laughs> only in the terms of like a you feel bad, right? You feel bad throwing cold water because it is, I do feel happy in some senses for their fans, but then the way that they've treated the Lakers for, I've been to that building, I don't know, 75 times. Mm-hmm. I think it, not just regular season games, but the Lakers always play the Kings in the preseason and the summer league, uh, the California classic has been there. So I've been there more than any other arena in the NBA. And it's, <laughs> there's just the angst that they have and the hatred towards Laker fans, right? Just makes mm-hmm. you, um, even as somebody that isn't a fan that is that is professional to be there, you you get it. You, you get all that. Oh, so I do. I remember. It's not just but it's not that it's gen, it's my genuine belief about playoff basketball um, and sort of regular season offensive rhythm. We talked about it a little bit prior um, to this. So I, I just think that that is an ideal type of a matchup uh, that put that aside. Point being, Dallas is a team that could that is not only I think could be a slip a slipper, but will be. Okay, so in the Lakers, though, they just have to like they have to not lose that one extra game that seems to keep happening as they get closer to 500 and then drop and then just go right there with Dallas. But I'm I am with you on Dallas. So the next question then is, do we really think that the Timberwolves, the Warriors or the Clippers um, will play at a worse pace? And the caveat to this is that the Lakers do have a better schedule um, than all three of those teams. So. Which one of those three are you trying to pull back under? All of them. 
All of, that's my point is that these teams have been playing like 5-10 basketball for most of the year and they've had their injuries too, right? But all it depends is on us with a favorable schedule, especially coming up, although not this weekend. It's funny, we keep talking about this favorable schedule, but it's like, but tonight's game, we play a team that's yeah, the, decent and playing the favorable well, favorable right? schedule, all it really means is they play Houston twice and then yeah. they get Utah twice uh, late in the season. That's like basically what the favorable schedule is. There aren't that many other... Yeah. A couple games against the Bulls that bring that down just a little bit, you know, and so. Well, and the Bulls are and the Bulls are playing better lately. Uh, that's I mean, true. They're not still not great, uh, but, you know, they're that's one of those home and home series that is tough to win both on. Oh, right. You know? No, good point. But, yeah. Good point. But yeah, but we do have a few layups coming up. So to me, it's always been about how well we play and we just we've won seven out of ten. Can we win seven out of our next ten? I think we can in a way that's not like this pie in the sky. We can do anything type of thing. It's like, no, I think that if we play the caliber of defense that we've played now, all of it's contingent upon health to some degree, especially Anthony Davis. But uh can we play that level of defense? And we have a little bit more offensive pop. And I think the fit of Schroeder going back to the bench. I don't know. Like there's, there's a lot to like. And so if yeah, we, yeah, yeah. if basically my point is if we win seven out of our next 10, is there who of those three is also going to win seven of their next 10 or six out of their next 10? I think a couple might win six, but I just, if we can win at that rate, like we don't have to worry about anybody else. Yeah. I could see out of that group, right. I could see, I could see the Clippers if they continue to kind of to play the right players uh, basically. And in, in that sense, like they, they, the last game they played, uh, Terrence Mann, who I think is kind of a key uh, for them, and he's been he's mm-hmm. been sitting more lately. And I don't want we don't have to get into the whole the whole rust stuff again. But the Lakers the Lakers situation to I think to your point, there is just a good positive feeling about the team internally mm-hmm. that I don't think exists in Dallas and in Minnesota. Exactly. Golden State is a Golden State is different, right? In that they won last year, but they're trying to they're trying to kind of like all right, come on guys, you know, yep. it's time to go and. That's that's a harder thing to do, but I do think they'll do it. Like I do have faith in though in in those guys. Like, all right, we've been kind of bullshitting for a little while. Sure. Now it's time to really kick it in. So I'm but not just that missing like? that. What does that look like though? Is that I mean they could get to the play in game and be like, yeah, we can pull it together. It's, yeah, I, mean, I guess my point is like it's already, hard to fake urgency. In the six. You know? Yeah, right. by by again, they're tied with they're tied with Minnesota and Dallas. But I think that I just think that they have players that have done it before. And they do have enough talent there. That's all. They're it's not, and they not don't a have a key injury. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have a key injury at the time. They're going to get Wiggins back at some point, we would think. So I'm just, I'm separating them a little bit. But so I, I, let me, I'm going to try to, again, build on your point to that forget about everybody else for a second. And the Lakers do really have this feeling. And it's, it's been, it's been here since the trade deadline. It's like, all right, we're, there's this like the other teams in the, in the league and in the conference are counting us out. And rarely do you get the Los Angeles Lakers with LeBron and AD. I know LeBron isn't back yet, but with the actual kind of chip on the shoulder as to we can really do something if we just play Mm -hmm. well, it's Mm -hmm. hard to create that vibe when everybody else is sort of hunting you all the time. And the Lakers have felt a little bit more like hunters lately um, than the animal that is fleeing from the tiger. You know, Mm -hmm. they they really do have sort of a a good general level of aggression and energy. And that is the thing that's been helping them win games. Uh, on top of the talent. And I do, I do see your point there that if they just re- keep that thing bottled up and they just keep playing with that energy, then some of these things could take care of themselves for sure. Yeah. And, but that starts with us and it starts with this weekend. So let's take a break, come back, talk about the games we got coming up. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Mike, this first game against the Raptors, they've been pretty good since they acquired Jakob Pertl, um, although they've dropped their last two, uh, the last of which that Clippers game that you were referring to. They have struggled a bit this year to kind of find an offensive identity um, and a team that I think is 28th in three-point shooting in the league. So in some ways, they're a team that the way you guard them is the way that we saw teams guarding us for a good part of the year. Talk to me your thoughts about Toronto, who we look very different than the last time we saw them in their gym. Yeah, the Raptors to me are just a – they're a couple of connecting players away from being a real type of a team that you would fear in a series. Uh, They have enough talent to beat you on any given night. They're six and four in their last 10, even though they have been struggling on this road trip. They're one in three, uh, including back-to-back losses to the Nuggets and the Clippers. And I just think, so yes, Pirtle comes in and he stabilizes them defensively a little bit and he gives them the rim protection. But look at the rest of their roster and the guys, especially the guys that start, none of those guys are really the make you better type players. And Pete, I think you made this point earlier in the season before the Lakers played the Raptors, but Siakam, you know, he can he can get guys the ball in certain spots, but he's really thinking about scoring first. And that's kind of his mentality. Um, Ananobi, same thing. Like he gets the ball and he's thinking about getting the shot up, uh, whether it's a, a three pointer catch and shoot or a little couple ISO dribbles and back down like fadeaway to Fred Van Vliet is a point guard, but really likes to shoot and loves to take step back threes and kind of likes to get going that way. And Scotty Barnes, another player who isn't really necessarily a connector. Uh, so I just the way that they all play together is a little bit stale. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think they don't have this, this full confidence in themselves, but they're huge and they're long and they'll, they're still, they all play pretty hard, you know? So you have to have a, a good cohesive game plan against them. But um, I just think they're, they're missing a couple of those connective type personalities. And when they won the title, Kyle Lowry was the guy that did a lot of that. Kawhi came in as kind of the silent assassin. And then Marcus Gasol who's always been underrated as a connector mm-hmm. uh, and is he's out there playing center, but if he's out there, he'll, he'll shoot the three. If he's open, otherwise move the ball along screen somewhere else and create an opening. And they just don't do that enough. Pirtle doesn't really do that. 
So that's my that's my read on Toronto. And I think that AD, shockingly, would be the key. And he's not the type of matchup that Jakob Pertl uh, can really exert himself against other than just backing up and letting AD take some of those open jump shots. But AD is not even, he's just not been settling for those lately. He's still like, oh, Jakob, you want this? You know, step to the baseline, swing through, boom, uh, and finish. So that's one thing that I want to keep an eye on, Pete, but I, I, I want to get your sense because I think I think we share that view of Toronto and how they've been playing and what the roster is. Very much so. You uh, you made a great observation about Rui when we had just traded for him, about how he kind of plays on an island when you were describing kind of his game. And the more I've watched Rui, the more I've wanted to revisit that. Um, and Toronto has a lot of guys that kind of play on an island uh, when I watch them. But that said, they've got a bunch of six, eight, six, nine dudes that earlier in the season we had absolutely no shot against. Um, I think Vanderbilt's a, a really important player in a game like this. Uh, but yeah, it starts with AD and on the offensive end in particular, he is attacking guys like Pirtle defensively right now in ways where when he's at his best and not settling, those guys can't handle him. Like Golden State had Kavon Looney on him recently, who's a very good big man defender, really good positionally, but he got Looney out onto the perimeter and it's not just the jump shots it's the floaters off of one leg and he can make so many shots and make them look so easy he's I've loved the way he's run the court recently Mike um he had this he had this catch on a pass from Beasley in the last game we had a bunch of turnovers the first shift and this should have been another one Beasley threw this pass on a rim run to AD that was behind him at his ankles and with AD on the move and AD caught it and then where he caught it, it was one of those where you ever overrun a layup, Mike, where it's like you catch it and it's like, ah, you got to reach back and, and try to make it like that. He did that right. effortlessly on a dead run and just the ball just laid softly in. There were like four different things about that play that should have been a turnover for anybody else. And there's just a level of dexterity that AD against guys like Pirtle, who's a really good defender, uh, but he's not that type of defender. He's a rim protector, help type of guy. And so all of that to me points to AD with the ball in his hands at the elbow. And so running those handoffs, if nothing's there, you go ahead and attack a guy like that in space. And with Russell coming back in particular, I think that that has a lot of potential. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I mean, AD is... There isn't really a great answer for him with the way that he's playing right now, as we just saw even against Golden State, who probably has the historically best answer for him and Draymond Green and, and AD was you know unbothered for a lot of the game mm -hmm. after he really was bothered in the game at Golden State when Draymond was getting away with the maximum level of sort of push your hips while while my other hand is straight up type tricks and AD just like, hey, <laughs> what, what's happening here? Are you guys going to call this? So that's that's one thing. I think that's a check that goes in the Lakers box. I'm thinking defensively a little bit here. So with Siakam and with Barnes in particular, you know, they, they like to get to the rim and they like to attack, but they, they both have an array of these little off-balance, one-handed floaters, somewhat in the way that AD does, although I don't think they're you know quite as efficient with it. Their touch isn't quite as good. And so AD on the back line and how much he has to, how much he can come off of Pirtle and how much the other, the, the other, defender can rotate down on him to not give up the, those layups that can shut out a good portion of what Toronto likes to do. And then from that point on, they're basically just looking at, you know, step back threes and, you know, sort of mm -hmm. end of shot clock type. You'll, you'll see a lot of Raptors possessions where it's Van Vliet or Siakam uh, just throwing something up um, at the end. And then 
waiting to get down on defense, trying to turn you over and then trying to get down a transition where they can use the athleticism. But if you can just make them play in that, in that box a little bit, AD of course being the key, but then no Mo Bamba on the second unit. And we get right back to that conversation. We started to have a little bit yesterday uh, with, with the whole, this is the high ankle sprain now and he's going to mm-hmm. be out. And you know, what does Wendy and Gabriel, um, how does he combine? How do you stagger you and Darius were going back and forth, right. With some ideas about, minutes mm-hmm. and what the net rating between different groups are. So how would you address that part, Pete? I'm so glad you brought up the bench. And for the purpose of this conversation, the bench is when Anthony Davis is not on the court. And we got the news yesterday that uh, Mo Bamba will be reevaluated in four weeks with the high ankle sprain. And so that leaves a bench unit that goes back to winning Gabriel at the five. And you know how I feel about when in, in his game and he's been a one of the real bright spots of the first part of the season. But I think that him next to Rui or like and Rui is a, a figure in this and that part of what was helpful about Bamba, at least in concept and in a couple of the games that he played as well, is that he could just stand outside of the three point line and make one out of three. And that's not something that Wenyon does or has any gravity for. Right. And he's more of an interior player. And so. If Rui were a better three-point shooter, I think it it would totally work out fine. But I'm worried a little bit, Mike, and this may be because that unit didn't have a shot creator too, but I'm worried about like the offensive spacing of that group because we've seen AD lately with a lot of like plus 22, plus 24 type of games in games that we win by eight or nine. And a big part of that is because our bench is getting beat quite a bit. But I think Dennis going back to the bench will help with that. But yeah, what are your thoughts on on the bench there in that big man rotation? Yeah, it's not ideal. This is where, and it wasn't even ideal in the sense that Bamba can just be up and down, right? A couple of games, he might hit sure. two threes and, you know, block a couple of shots and it's like, great. And then a couple of games, he might just not have his best energy and he might miss his threes. And then he's getting one shift and he's on the bench. And Wenyan may have a couple of games where he's, wow, look, look at him on the offensive class. He's killing this team. The energy is really helpful. And then the other game, He's committing extra fouls and, you know, throwing the ball out of bounds and taking shots out of order. So and this is what happens, right? This is this is why these guys who are talented are not regular starters. So this is the NBA. This is what happens. And I think when you get down to a playoff type matchup, that rotation spot probably just gets skipped. And it's more Mm -hmm. LeBron, more AD, maybe a little bit more Vanderbilt, you know, because you can trust that the things that are going to happen at least well enough in, in those contexts. So for this specific game, I'm just thinking. As it pertains to Rui, you mentioned the shooting, Pete. So 27% from three in February. So far in a small sample, he's hit two out of, let's see, two out of nine um, so far in March. His shot, it's really flat, but it's still like the way that he lines it up looks good, you know, to me, like upon the release. But then sometimes it'll just be way off because Stuart talks about this all the time. And I'm sure you taught your Mm -hmm. high school kids. Like if, if the ball, if you don't have a certain level of arc right on the ball, then you're not going to have as much. You're not going to give the ball as many chances to kind of finesse its way into the hoop uh, with mm-hmm. a bounce or two. It's either going straight in or that thing is, is zinging off. And and he that's that's what his three point shot represents. Same thing with Wenyan. Like he'll hit the occasional corner three, but you don't really want him shooting above the break. And so what do you what do you need then? Well, you already said it. You need a point guard or you need somebody to put them in positions where they don't have to take those type of shots and, and it won't, and it's not necessarily going to disrupt the spacing that the defense is going to allow for those short period periods of minutes. And if it's Dennis and Austin with that group, then I feel better about that. 
And mm-hmm. between the two of them, these are guys that have closed certain games lately. But if you're starting with Russell and Beasley, and that, that means you're going to, with that initial group, you are going to get both Austin and Dennis. And so hopefully they can they can put them in enough good positions, screen rolls, you know, driving kicks, et cetera, um, that, that you won't have to worry that much about a team keying in and taking advantage of like Rui plus Wenyan um, on the offensive end. But, you know, the net rating so far this season has said otherwise. I, mm-hmm. I just think that part of that reason is because of how little Russell has played. Therefore, how little Dennis and Austin together have gotten to play with that second unit. Yeah. And that might be the difference Pete, between a, you know, a really bad net rating and one that's just like fine. What do you see about the reincorporation of D'Lo after a few games without him? I think it was six or seven. What do you see him coming back to? D'Lo, like he to me, at least from a skill set standpoint and just a just the physical or the lack of athleticism that he relies upon could be a guy that comes back and is pretty good right away. Like the jump shot's going to be fine. You know, mm-hmm. the release, the handle's going to be fine. He's not necessarily sprinting up and down the court and beating you with his with uh, with that type of ability anyway. Defensively, the same thing. He's kind of just going to be solid and, and just move his feet and make sure to know which shooters you close out on. So I'm I think that D'Lo being out two weeks could isn't necessarily the same as AD you know, being out two weeks where you really do need AD in a, at a certain mm-hmm. physical place uh, where, where like for him to be in his best rhythm. That's uh, that might be wishful thinking a little bit. I, I'm not saying that Russell's going to come out and just immediately hit all his shots and be totally fine. But um, his his skill as a passer, though, to Pete is something to me that that should translate and should just carry right away to any basketball game that he plays in uh, in his ability to see over defenders. And especially if they're going to guard him with Fred Van Vliet, um, where although I don't know, would you? That's a good question. Who would you guard him with if you were the Raptors? I'd probably you've got Beasley out there. Yeah, I'd probably use Van Vliet, Van Vliet to chase Beasley around, and then yeah. Trent on on D'Lo. But well, it could I mean, go either I mean, way, though, right? If you want to get a, a smaller guy up underneath D'Lo, that's where I think a big part of his um, value is too. Is just helping us not turn the ball over, like you were talking about Toronto getting deflections and get, getting out in transition. If we can limit that, though, live ball turnovers, we're going to be in good shape tonight because of the half court struggles that they, I think that they might have against our half court defense if we're really on it. But well, yeah. But so, so since they got, but Pete, since they got Pirtle though, so Trent is coming off the bench, right? So that like, they've been starting, they've been essentially right. starting like Barnes and Anobi at the, I guess both threes or Seattle. Like, I don't know which position they all play, but I mean, Ananobi can guard anybody. I, you could, you could put Ananobi on him and really disrupt sure. the offense in that sense. Um, because I don't know if Ananobi needs to be on Vanderbilt, uh, for example. So, yeah, so so take your picks, Yakum or Ananobi or Barnes. Like, that's that's where they get their versatility um, kind of hits you. But I don't think they would start Trent uh, in this context. I, right. Therefore, it's going to be – it's either going to be somebody really big, you know, for Russell or Van Vliet trying to chase him around, and, and that'll be a curious matchup for sure. And that, I think, is a big reason why playing through AD is a big – part of this. I'm excited to see this particular lineup, Mike, because I think Troy will probably keep that spot. And so it'll be D'Lo, Beasley, Troy, Vanderbilt, and uh, and AD. And that's really good jump shooting around AD and Vanderbilt. Troy's been shooting the heck yeah. out of the ball. D'Lo and Beasley, like that is, in terms of like being able to run more back cuts and uh, have more gravity on the perimeter, that's some of the best gravity that we have on the team. So uh, very curious to see how that 
lineup uh, ends up looking. And then then the Knicks, Mike, we got the, the Knicks on Sunday, been playing very well, especially since trading for Josh Hart. They are uh, on the rise in the East. One of the most left-handed teams I've ever seen. Uh, tell me, what, what do you see from the Knicks team on Sunday? Well, the first thing with the Knicks is Jalen Brunson's health, because he got pulled in the second quarter mm-hmm. against the Kings. And that was an interesting game. The Knicks, to me, are, are there are a couple things that, that remind me of the Lakers this year in that they finally they have like they get Josh Hart they didn't change over their whole roster but it just sort of fits now and like Mm there's they have a style they have a personality you know they have kind of a rugged quality they're gonna they're gonna hit the offensive glass they're gonna compete their butts off It, it, it happens to fit Tibbs pretty well which certainly not every group of players does Mm-hmm. And they're just they're just a pain in the ass. And we even saw that against the Kings after Brunson went down, where the Kings were up like 20. And the Knicks just assaulted the offensive glass repeatedly. And it was Hart. It was Hartenstein. Uh, it was Barrett. It was Randall. Just all these physical big dudes, mm-hmm. most of them left-handed, uh, as you mentioned. So they were they were certainly they're certainly a threat. I think that it's a good with that said, I think it's a good matchup for the Lakers. Because the Lakers have been pretty engaged in that way also. Like, you're, you're not just going to beat the Lakers right now by playing harder and by smashing the offensive glass. Whereas a month ago, that would have been the best way to beat the sure. Lakers. You know, th- that's part of what the changeover in the roster has been. And just like just the, the presence of Vanderbilt um, changes that energy some. And then Troy Brown's emergence there, like that AD being the big factor. And when he's playing with this kind of energy, you just don't have those advantages physically. So... Um, I the one the one player that I think could be a problem though for the Lakers that didn't play in the Lakers Knicks matchup um, aside from Hart is Mitchell Robinson is back and he might be the best offensive rebounder in the NBA. He's so mm-hmm. good at being around the rim and just keeping stuff alive. So that that can give them some um, an extra boost there. But the, if Brunson if Brunson can't play quickly was terrific. Like he basically beat the Celtics by himself. One of the best bench players going to be a six man of the year candidate. Pete, but. I think that it's more about like the the mental blow of of going into another game because they play the they play the Clippers on Saturday and if if Brunson doesn't play in that game and then he's going to not play again on Sunday that's that's a big blow if he does play uh, then that's a different story. Yeah, no, they'll they'll miss him and he's been you know a phenomenal free agent signing that Dallas has really missed. Um, yeah, they're a funny team because their physicality really manifests on offense more than it does on defense. Like they, they can get you on that end with that, but really it's that wave after wave of big physical guys. Even Brunson's very physical for a point guard and how he plays and kind of plays an offbeat type of way. Um, And so if he doesn't play, they don't have as much at the lead guard type of spot. One thing I see in common of these two games this weekend, Mike, is the thing that we like to do where it's like, ah, we're going to let one of you guys on the floor shoot as many threes as you want, and we'll be fine with that. I could see that happening quite a bit this weekend between just starting and bench type of units. And so uh, we'll see if if we get stung for that. We've been talking about that a little bit more lately. But yeah, I think that's going to be one of the storylines this weekend. Well, so looking at the Knicks on, on that front, you certainly don't want Quentin Grimes uh, taking open threes, and he hit a bunch of them against the Lakers, so he's one that you're doing the hard close on. Obviously, if Brunson mm-hmm. plays, no. Uh, but Barrett and Julius Randle, they're, those are two guys who I think coaches going into a game are somewhat happy to let them take certain shots, especially above the break. But I, this is where we get into the whole don't do the just let you sit out there and shoot threes thing. Like, do it. 
this if you do a soft closeout to those guys and and Randall and Barrett combined to hit like 10 threes, you know, then you sort of tip your cap. But I don't think either one of them is a particularly good shooter from there. And, you know, like Julius was two for 12. That's a lot of Julius. It's part of what I love about him. He mm -hmm. is. He does not care. Mike, I. I, I have this theory that all of the guys that Kobe raised that were around Kobe for a year or two at the end, all of them are gunners. I was Carson, cracking up. Ju yeah, man. Julius, the other day, in the last couple of weeks, he's had like a five three-point first quarter and a four three-point first quarter. And he's just flinging a man. It's like on the move, drifting right. And he's like, okay at them. So if we do that against Julius, he's taking 15 of them. And they, I mean, the hard part there is that Kobe post Achilles with that roster, you know, was, that's not how Kobe played when they won the titles, you know, now he would take any shot. Don't get me wrong, but, but not like, not in the sense of just the, like the YOLO that, well, maybe that was a couple <laughs> of years prior to that. Right. When he, like when Kobe had, when Kobe didn't trust the teammates, yes, he had the YOLO life going, but when he did, he was a little bit more disciplined for the most part. Okay. What do you think? I mean, I think that's a, a favorable memory. I think Kobe like believed the impossible was possible a lot of times. And he worked on his game so much that he legit could hit any shot. And sometimes it was like, you shouldn't like, just cause you can hit that shot 20% of the time and everybody else can only hit that shot 3% of the time. Doesn't mean that you should necessarily take that shot, you know? But, no, I, I'm not saying Kobe had the greatest shot selection in NBA history, <laughs> but I, but the point that I've made before about Kobe and mm -hmm. leave it to us to just go on a quick Kobe tangent. I Always. think Kobe was also was also practicing the, the tough types of shots that he knew were going to be available in the playoffs um, that that like need to get hit when times are tough and when the defense is, is super tight and super forced. And if he just if we cared as much about efficiency in 2003 uh, as we do now, I think he mm -hmm. probably would have adjusted his game some, but he was part of it was just that, that extreme overconfidence and, and all that. But I think the other part was he was genuinely like basically practicing some of the tough type shots that he knew he was going to have to hit in the postseason. I guess the, like the gunner type of, I guess that type of guy doesn't bother me. Like, I don't mean that as an insult or anything like that. It's just this sort of like Kobe, JC has some great quotes about this where Kobe was like, if you don't shoot the ball, I'm going to kick your ass type of thing. You know, like you're when you come in, let him fly. And that's something that I think that I don't know, just part of Kobe, like you work on your game and you let it fly. You know, that it's just it's more mentality than anything else. Yeah. And that and that mentality, too, I think is is unique somewhat to the NBA relative to any level of basketball up to that point, because when yeah. you get an open shot in the NBA. Like. You're not you may not get one again for the rest of the possession. So that I think that is part mm -hmm. of it. Like there, whereas in other forms of basketball, if you just stay disciplined in high school and you kind of keep moving the ball around, you're probably going to get a better shot at some point. The defense is going to break down. Sometimes the defense isn't going to break down as much in the NBA. So I think that's that's part of like the whole Mike D'Antoni thing and um as well. And but yeah, I, I'm I don't think we necessarily disagree about Kobe. I'm I'm probably giving it a, a bit of a charitable um look. I just I more thought that the when he needed to be efficient. Uh, in like, in, and I'm thinking mostly about playoffs and certainly the games that I saw in person a lot. He, I just, I saw the level of discipline raise uh, and, mm -hmm. and, or the shots that he took were the ones that were the, basically the ones that were going to be available anyway, um, versus mm -hmm. like what, what would be conceived as a good shot in the regular season.
I think of game seven of 2010, the, you know, the six for 24 game. If you watch the shots that Kobe took in that game, they're insane. They're like, <laughs> and a couple of them are shot clock type of things, but he had, you know, it was seven games worth of game planning. And to me, that's Kobe being like, this is game seven. This is the moment I've been preparing for all my life. And him being like overly amped up and going past, like, I guess there's a way you can take that mentality too far that in remembering him, we can forget his tendency to do that. Yes. And, and, and here's yet another pushback. Nobody hit shots in game seven. Okay. Ray Allen was three for 14. Were the, were all of those shots? Great. Paul Pierce was five for 15, right? Even, uh, even Powell was six for 16. Meta was seven for 18. Bynum was one for five. The only player that was efficient that night was KG, who was eight for 13. Um, but I also can't argue that there was part of the Kobe wanted to be the one that was hitting the shots. Uh, and it's just like that, that game was to me more about legs uh, and incredible defense and incredible mm-hmm. effort and incredible physicality that like most shots in that game for both teams were tough shots. Now I want to rewatch the game. Now I want to rewatch the game. Yeah, so I can fact I, check. watch Kobe shots, in, especially to start that game. And but that's part of why that's my favorite Kobe game of all time is that he came into it with this this idea of like this is my time. And I don't necessarily think he felt like I have to be the one that makes the shot, but it's that ultimate confidence in himself, you know, that like we need to make shots, and I am the person most well equipped to do it. And under uh, one of the, the most underappreciated stats from that game, uh, we, we the rebounds are appreciated. We always talk about mm-hmm. his 15 rebounds for offensive, but it's the free throw attempts. He got to the oh, free yeah. throw line 15 times and no Celtic got there more than six times. And so that was like the that was the the counter sum to some of those tough shots was that he just barreled his body and sold out and took the punishment um, in order to get his team to the line. Exactly. That's why it's my favorite Kobe game is because he started out with one plan and that wasn't working and he figured out a way. We had them in the penalty early in the fourth quarter of that game. And that was a huge part of the storyline. And in those games, no one could hit a free throw like as great as Powell was. He was like seven for 13 for the free throw line. Yeah. Yeah, Kobe was 11 for 15. It just I mean, the dead legs. Yeah. You know, dead legs. 100 percent. But the Lakers figure out a way. Yeah, we did. Hell yeah, we did. Like Powell reminded us uh, the other night, man. So, all right, go Lakers. Let's get a couple wins this weekend. Keep the good vibes going. Uh, good, but they're going to be tough. Got a couple of quality opponents. We will be back on Monday talk about how it went. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around right. for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. Unbelievable. For the victory. It's over.
Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.